0: like to ask you to take your Bibles and open them to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Our text today is verse 15 to 17 of Colossians chapter 3. As you find your way there, I'd like to ask that you would stand out of reverence for the reading of God's Word this morning from Colossians chapter 3. We're going to step back and begin in verse number 12, get a running go, and verse 15 to 17 will be our verses this morning. So let's listen to what the Apostle Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God Almighty. Let's hear what he writes. Verse number 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word, your life-giving word. Father, we pray now that you would take your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would speak to us through it. Father, help us see you this morning. Help us see Christ. Help us see our sin. Father, help us grow in holiness Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. Lord, would you help us hear from you this morning? Lord, we need you. It's in Christ's name that we humbly pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, the local church truly is an amazing thing. Just consider this morning... Who it is that comes to be a part of the local church and to join it. People from all walks of life. Younger folks, older folks, upper, middle, lower lower class people. People with different interests. People with different hobbies. People from other states all across our nation from north, south, west, mid-Atlantic, all the regions, different backgrounds, different upbringings, different ethnicities, people who love to read, people who really can't stand to read too much, sports folks, people that love sports, people that hate sports and love other things, some raised in a Christian home with a Christian background, other people without any or little biblical background. And we could continue to go on and on. Just think about it for a minute, how many walks of life come together into a local church, brought together by one unifying factor, the person of Jesus Christ. We are here, and local churches unite Because Jesus has saved us by His grace and chose us and made us holy and made us beloved as we have been seeing in Colossians chapter 3. That we've been brought from death to life. We've been raised with Christ. We are now dead to sin. But we still are fighting and still are battling sin in our lives. We know the Bible teaches us that sanctification is a progressive work, right? It's still going on in us. Those whom Christ has saved, He is working in us. We're still sinners. And so in churches, you have a bunch of different people with different backgrounds coming together who are still sinners, struggling to live like who they already are in Christ, is it any wonder that Paul speaks about our necessity to forgive one another? I mean, just again, step back and consider all of your sinfulness, the way you were raised and various things, and you bring a whole conglomerate of people together into a local church. Is it any wonder we need to be instructed to forgive one another? That The Apostle Paul instructs us for the need to bear with one another I love it, what he said last week in the text, that, uh, uh, that if anyone has a complaint against another, <laughs> as if he needed to put if there, right? There's going to be complaints. You have a bunch of sinners brought together that are getting to know one another, interacting with one another. We're to lovingly forgive as Christ has forgiven us. We're to put on love, and that love brings about harmony Because we need harmony, because many times there's not that. Yes, a bunch of sinners living together, interacting together, will sin against one another. And it is with that corporate sort of nature in mind that the Apostle Paul has been speaking to us in these verses. For us as a congregation, for us as a whole, to put to death certain things in our lives. For us to put on certain actions and thoughts in our lives. He has been calling us, we've seen, to live like who we already are in Christ, to dress like who we are, to live like those who we already are by God's grace and salvation. In verses 15 to 17 that we're looking at today, Paul gives the church at Colossae three primary commands or instructions on how we are to be living together in Christ. These three primary commands are just as applicable to us today as they were for that church then. Those Christians that Paul was writing to at Colossae were a bunch of sinners joined together by the grace of God from varying backgrounds who were seeking to live like who they already are in Christ. And we need to hear These words that the Apostle Paul spoke to them through the Holy Spirit, the powerful Word of God in our own lives and in the life of our church today. And so first off, we see here as Paul gives them instruction, he instructs the church there, first of all, to let peace control. Point number one, let peace control. We see that in verse number 15. Verse 15, Paul says, we are to, quote, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So we consider that for a moment and we say, well, what is the peace of Christ? What is he speaking about there? Well, he's speaking about the peace that Jesus both embodies and brings, in, brings us into as believers. It's the same peace that he spoke of in chapter 1, verse 20. Look back there just real quick in Colossians 1, verse 20. Flip back there. It says there, and through him... "...to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross." You see, Jesus Himself is peace, and He has brought about peace to us by the blood of His cross. We have gone from being enemies of God to now being at peace with God. We once were apart from Christ, apart from the grace of Christ, and we need to remember this. It's going to have everything to do with thankfulness, as we're going to see. We need to remember this, to remember who we were before God shed His grace upon us through Jesus Christ. We were enemies of God, under God's judgment. But Christ in His grace came to die on the cross for us and to bring us and draw us into the family of God. And Jesus has brought us into the realm of peace that now before God, through Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. We have peace with Him through what Jesus Christ has done. And so we are in a state of peace through Christ with God, that is a reality in our lives. And Paul instructs us here to let that peace, the peace of Christ, let it rule in your hearts. This word translated rule is an interesting word. It's only used once in the New Testament here in this verse. Uh, It was used in early New Testament times of the sports arena where an umpire of sorts would be presiding over a particular game or the games. And the umpire would make rulings upon things happening in the game, right? They would call something a foul. They would control the game. They would rule it. They were the ones making decisions about the things taking place. Interestingly, the same root of this word is used in chapter 2, verse 18, of the false teacher's who were themselves ruling. Look at chapter 2, verse 18, just very quick. He says there, let no one disqualify you, that's our our word there, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going into detail about visions, etc., etc. So the false teachers were wanting to rule these believers or disqualify them. But here Paul is saying, no, The peace of Christ is what is to rule and control your actions. The peace of Christ is what is to rule your decision. The peace that Christ brings, the unity, the togetherness that He brings is what is to rule us in our lives. Not what these false teachers are saying, you must keep this and this and this extra biblical rule and they're the ones disqualifying based upon their false assumptions. And... Paul comes in right here and he says, no, here's where you're to make your decisions from, the peace that Jesus Christ has brought you into. That is to rule your hearts. It's to rule your decision-making. Hearts here is, is not, uh, not just referring to the emotions Uh, not some sort of private uh, inward part of your soul and emotions that nobody else can see. No, biblically speaking, the heart refers to the source of our will, our emotions, our thoughts, and our affections. When he speaks of hearts, we could say in our own minds, he's, he's talking about the head, he's talking about the heart, and our actions, our will, all of it. He's saying all of those things, let the peace of Christ rule in your lives. It's a call to live our lives and treat other people with peace and unity that Christ has given to us. Paul said, to which indeed you were called in one body. And you see the unity language that Paul is using here. God has called us by His grace and united us together by the peace that Christ brings and we're to live like that with each other, to let that, that same peace be ruling our decisions that we make the false teachers at Colossae were most likely ruining the unity and the peace in these churches. I mean, you can imagine you can you can get the thought of of them saying, Here's you need to do these extra things. You need you need to do these types of things that verse 16 and following talks about: do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. All of these human traditions that they're coming and they're saying, you need to perform these things to remain children of God. You need to keep doing these types of things. And so then people be looking around at others. Are they doing that? Are they doing these things? Are they keeping these things? And it would just be a nitpick and not much unity taking place. The Apostle Paul comes and says, no, your decisions that you're making, the things that you're doing, that is to come from the peace that God has given and the holiness that God has given us is not like that it's not like what these false teachers are bringing no we pursue this together we bear with one another we realize we're all sinners saved by grace and we realize that fact and we're for one another and, and we're for each other and there's a unity and there's a peace and our stance with others is we love you and we want to see you become more like Christ. That type of thought is to be ruling in our minds and our hearts and our wills that we have. Not, not a sort of contrasted disqualifying of we see of the false teachers in these Verses. No, God has called us to something different. We're to live in an understanding way with one another. We're to be forgiving of one another. When anger rises, we are to call foul. We're to rule that out. We're to make those decisions. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to let the peace of Christ be ruling the decisions that I make. The peace of Christ and what He's brought to To me, You see at the very end of verse number 15, you see where Paul tacks on there, and be thankful, and be thankful. Each of these points uh, in these verses, 15, 16, and 17, you're going to see a call to thankfulness. We see it here that we just looked at in verse number 15, and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule, and be thankful. Secondly, we're going to see let the word of Christ dwell with thankfulness. And in verse 17, in whatever you do, do it giving thanks to God. Thankfulness is so important in our lives because thankfulness is gratitude. Listen, thankfulness is realizing who God is and what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Listen, that means that Christians really ought to be the most thankful people in the world because we are those that have had our sins forgiven. Our biggest problem in the world has been taken care of through Jesus Christ. We ought to be a people who are thankful to God for what he has done. A deep-seated joy and thankfulness should animate our decisions and animate our actions. Why? Because we once were dead, but now, through the grace of Jesus Christ, we are alive. We once were God's enemies, and now we've been forgiven, and we're a part of the family of God. I mean, what else is there in this life because of that? I mean, I mean, when, give it 100 years and we're all going to be singing those thankful praises because we're all going to be dead and we're going to be able to look back and realize Christ is everything. Christ meant everything to me in this life because he has forgiven me of my sins. If I have that, no matter what else happens in life, I have all I need. And we are having a disposition of thankfulness because of what Christ has done. That should enliven us, our decisions of letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts that we are a thankful, thankful people. So Paul calls on them first here to let peace control. Let that control you as a church. And listen, be thankful. Be thankful. Why? Because of what God has done for you. Not only that, secondly here he says let the word dwell in verse number 16. There's one main command that Paul gives in this verse and there's three kind of applications or how that we go about doing this. Three ways that we uh, uh, fulfill this command within context, the manner in which we are to let the word dwell. So first of all, we'll just look at the command for a moment and then we'll consider the three ways that we are to do that. Uh, So verse number 16, Paul comes and he says there, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let's think about this for a second, the word of Christ. It's meaning more there than just the words of Christ, like the literal spoken words of Jesus Christ on this earth in his ministry. He's speaking here, we could say, of the scripture, both the old and the new testaments Um, in fact the Old Testament points us to Jesus Christ and is a word about Jesus Christ at least that's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 24 that everything in the Old Testament is written about him I would just ask us what part of the Old Testament has nothing to do with Jesus Christ Right? There's not that part. It all points to him. And so the same thing with the New Testament. So here, the word of Christ, we could just say, is speaking about the Scripture. God's word spoken to us. And so Paul's commanding to let the word of Christ, the word of God, dwell in us. Okay, Remember the you here is a second person plural what's technically supposed to be y'all, right? That's what that's supposed to be. That's what he's speaking about here. Let the word of Christ dwell in y'all. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, RGBC. That's what he's saying here. He's writing to this to the church at Colossae. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, church. Let this word dwell in you, live in you, be at home in you. We could translate indwell. Let the word of Christ indwell you, church. It's a present tense command implying a continual action that we need to be at work on. God's word is to ever be living in us. God's word is to be at home with us. Now, this is more than just us being a people that just read the Bible Okay, as if to say, well, just just read your Bible and that's what this means. That's the application here to let the word of Christ dwell in you. Well, it's no less than that, but it is so much more than that. The application isn't just, okay, let me go home and read my Bible and check that off. No, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're called to weigh more than that. That word is supposed to actually dwell in us. It's to live in us, to be at home in our lives, to enliven our thoughts, enliven our decisions, our actions. It's it's to so be a part of us that it's just who we are as a people. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let me just ask you this this morning. As you consider your own life, does God's word dwell in you? Does God's word dwell in you? Dwell on that question for a minute. Does God's word dwell in you? Is it part of who you are? God's Word living within you, changing you. Could you say that about yourself? I know that we all need to grow in this area, but could you say as a believer that God's Word is dwelling and living and changing you? Do you long to hear the Word of God? Do you long to be taught the Word of God? Even in the realms of corporate worship, are you happy to come to church and to hear about it, to hear the Word of God, to talk about the Word of God with others throughout the week, to let it change you, shape you, mold you? Not your coming to God's Word saying, God, here's what I want you to say about this, let me try to tweak it to where it means that, or are you coming as clay saying, God, let your word mold and change me into your likeness? It's to dwell in us, and he says, richly. Dwell in us richly, abundantly, greatly, God's word dwelling in us. Well, how? How does that happen? He mentions three ways. The first two are very similar and the third a little bit different. Uh, But how are we to do this? How are we to let God's word be dwelling in us as a church and us individually as parts of the church? Well, first thing he says there is teaching in verse number 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, and we're gonna say admonishing one another, but teaching. In verse number 16, we see that. One of the ways that we can have the Word of Christ dwell within us is by teaching it, is by teaching it. And, and we're all about, just as an aside, we're, we're all about here at Redeeming Grace Baptist Church of teaching the Word, right? A major part of our corporate worship this morning and each Sunday morning is having the Word of God taught and proclaimed among us. Explained and applied the Word of God to us, to let the Word of God be dwelling in us as a congregation. In our young kid classes, first through fifth grade, during our equip hour, the Bible is being taught to our kids. What does the Bible say about God? How are we to understand Him? In our youth classes, sixth through twelfth grade, we're about teaching the Bible. How does the Bible call upon us to think and act and live in such and such? How does the Bible enliven that? Same thing with our adult equip classes. We want to know how does God's word equip us to think about this or to study this book of the Bible or to this topic. How does God's word speak to us? That is what we are about. And another aside, I'm thinking about my third one right now, somewhere point something something, right? Take advantage of those things. I just encourage you, take advantage of those things. No matter where you fall on those things, of kids, of youth, of adult, take advantage of that, Uh, of to come and to say, let let me hear, let me just have that attitude of I want to come and I want to be shaped by the word. Let me God, let me learn something. Or to be a people, a church that teaches. But notice here the one another. It's given to us on the realm here in this context of us teaching one another for that to be a corporate thing. So scripture has a lot to say about preaching and teaching and that sort of thing. But right here in context, he's talking about all of us teaching one another, of all of us teaching, teaching about the word, teaching about God, teaching about the scripture for us to be interacting with one another in such a away. And as we're going to see, that doesn't mean that we uh, invite a friend over to the house and say, please sit down on this couch. I'm going to teach you something from the Word of God, and I need you to be quiet and to listen to what I have to say and to begin teaching them, right? That's not what we're speaking about here, especially getting into the admonishing part here. We're talking about in our lives with each other for just wisdom from the Word of God to be evidently coming from us towards others. Hey, what about this? I don't understand this, this whole sovereignty of God thing and this e- evil thing. How do, in teaching and learning from one another, that's what he's speaking about here. We're to be teaching others. And, and right related with that is admonishing, admonishing. Now, teaching and admonishing one another, as he says here, you might, could, you, you might could come at that and say, now teaching, I can, I can come along with some teaching, but uh, this admonishing, this really begins to push it a little bit because admonishing moves beyond just teaching and he's talking about actually confronting over error. We could describe this word as to provide instruction, as to correct behavior and belief. Okay, so now we're moving into the realms of correction. So, uh, again, admonishing the idea of lovingly correcting an error in someone else's actions or belief. Someone that's not living in obedience to God's Word or thinking correctly from God's Word. And notice it says that this is to be done in all wisdom or with all wisdom. That is, carefully, lovingly, with the goal of restoring what is wrong or in error. We're beginning to see the picture of what Paul says when he's speaking about the word dwelling within us, that we're to be teaching a, a people, a church, that are actually teaching each other. We're to be correcting, correcting one another, admonishing one another. Now listen, doesn't that go against our culture today? I think it always goes against every culture who loves to be uh, corrected. But right, I mean, for crying out loud, we're dealing with things like teachers not using red ink to correct papers because it's seen as being aggressive. I mean, so, you know, we're, we're dealing with people don't want to be confronted over things in their life. So we're really running against the culture with what we as a church should be looking like in our interactions with one another. But hey, that shouldn't surprise us, is it? Uh, that were to look different than the world and the culture of the world? Um, again, I, I know this is a tough one. No one loves being admonished of pointed out an error quite providentially. Uh, this week, I had a fellow church member admonish me in something that I should have done, but I didn't. I thank the Lord for that uh, providential admonishing, right? And immediately, when we're called to be corrected over something, What's normally our first reaction is usually one of defense. Well, let, let me explain. My, here's, what I, here's what I did. Here's what I was thinking. No, no, we need to be admonished by others and corrected. If we are not willing to be admonished, what are we practically saying about ourselves? I am perfect, and I don't need to be changed in any way. I am perfect. You can't tell me anything because I am perfect. That's what we're practically saying if you go to a brother and sister in Christ to admonish them over something in all wisdom, mind you, right? To go to them and admonish them, right? For you to reject that is for you to say, no, I'm I'm good. I don't really need to be admonished because I've got this, right? That's incorrect. So we need to lovingly Be about this sort of things. I mean, doesn't that make sense? For us to be sinners who are brought together with one another, to live in community with one another and get to know one another, that we're going to be wrong (laughs) in stuff? I mean, isn't that only going to happen? I mean, a logical person can just step back and look at the whole thing and say, yeah, that's going to happen. That's going to happen. I mean, just look around here this morning and consider all the errors that you see in people's lives. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, right? But it it should be, that should be a reality. that We say, I know that's going to happen, so we just need to be open to that in our lives. Let's be humble. Let's not take ourselves so seriously that we can't be corrected or admonished by somebody else. Let's not be a prideful people like that. Why the peace of Christ is to rule within us. We've already been saved and bought by the blood of Christ. Our sins have been forgiven. We're being made more and more like Christ and we need one another. We need each other in our lives to point us to Christ, to let that word dwell in us. How does it dwell? It dwells by us teaching one another. It dwells in us by us admonishing one another. Let's let's. Be a people where that's okay to be admonished by other brothers and sisters in Christ. Thirdly, and you might be thinking, well, this one came from left field because he talks about singing, singing. So in verse number 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This instruction of singing is speaking about corporate worship. It's speaking about a gathered corporate time of worship when the church at Colossae would gather together to praise Christ together, and they would sing. And when they gather, we are to be singing. Notice this. This is given to all of us. It's given to one another. And so one way that the word dwells in us as a congregation is by corporate singing. God's word dwells in us. He says we're to sing psalms. That is here mainly speaking about the psalms, the book of the Old Testament, right? That book for that book uh, or something close resembling those psalms for us to literally sing that, for that to be the content, hymns, truths that are to be sung. Many believe, chapter 1, if you just glance back there, verse 15 Uh, to verse number 20, many believe that that confession there was an early New Testament hymn that was sung together in their uh, corporate worship gatherings. And so that's saying something about Christ. You can look at that. That might be a good example of an early New Testament hymn, of spiritual songs, probably songs written that focus on what God has done for us and to emphasize his work in our lives. And so Paul is saying, look, one of the ways the word of God dwells in you Redeeming Grace Baptist Church is by your singing, about your singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Oh, brothers and sisters in Christ, how sad it is for the Church of Jesus Christ in the past years to have such a thing called worship wars, about, about where people fight about our letting the word of God dwell in them by their singing of, of traditional folks arguing against the modern or contemporary folks. I mean, where's the peace of Christ ruling in that? I think we should at least see from this passage of Scripture that we see here a variety of things that are being sung, not just kind of one approach. We, it's, it's, it's hymns are what we sing, and it's hymns, period, or courses what we sing, it's courses, period. I think one application directly on the service here is we see a multitude of things being sung. One of the things I think that we should take away from this is content of what is sung is king. Because we're talking here about the word of Christ, the Bible dwelling in us by singing. So we're to sing truth. The content drives it all, is what we are singing truth. That should be what we're concerned about. Is it singable? Yeah, you gotta be able to sing it, right? I mean, that's what we're doing, we're singing. You gotta be able to sing it, and it's gotta be truth. It's gotta be truthful, it's gotta be biblical in content. So if there's a song that is sung, one that you might not like the tempo or the particular style of that, you can still be happy in your heart towards God because this is saying a truth about what God is, who Jesus Christ is, etc. You can say, I can, uh, that is good, that is a truth of God's word. My preferences might be here, be different, but hey, this is the word of God. I know there's other brothers and sisters in Christ that probably love this, because guess what? Are there gonna be different styles that people have in a congregation like this? I don't, I would guess yes, okay? I would guess yes. So we need to come together and see that the content and truth of what is sung is one of the ways the word of God dwells within us. Songs that teach us. Songs that encourage us, admonish us. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. That's part exhortation right there. We're exhorting and admonishing one another to look to Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. When you feel the weight of your sin and how bad you really are, we're exhorting one another with that hymn, look to Christ. He made an end to all of our sin. Consider the cross of Jesus Christ. Songs stick with us, don't they? And they teach us truth. I guarantee you that's a fact. Preached a lot of sermons. Hardly I can't even remember what I preached years ago. But we remember songs. We remember songs. I was encouraged uh, uh, by somebody once that was despairing over that fact that uh, nobody like, remembers what. And, and somebody said, well, listen, I don't remember what I ate seven or eight months ago. Uh, but, but I tell you what, I would remember it if I didn't have it because uh, having it in a long period of time, that would have really had an effect upon me and that was very encouraging uh, for ministers to hear, to say, yeah, that's right, we're sustained by the word weekly, weekly of what we need and God is nourishing us in that. Songs stick with us, though, in our memory. Many of you, if you've been raised in the church, you've been singing songs for a long time, the same song. In my own life, I've been singing it as well with my soul since I was a little kid. And it's really sort of neat that throughout the years, I've sang that song, and the message of that song has ministered to me in various ways and in various places. It's been such a wonderful joy of seeing other saints sing that song. Such an encouraging thing when they are going through tough times in their life when I know what they're facing and I know what they're going through and they're showing up at church in corporate worship and they're singing when sorrows like a sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul how encouraging is it for us to hear other people we know that are struggling and going through singing stuff like that I mean, that's just encouraging, flat-out encouraging. That's admonishing in a good way. That's teaching in a good way. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. That's teaching, isn't it? Isn't that a truth about what Christ has done? It's an exhortation to come to him. So let us be a singing people. Redeeming Grace Baptist Church, let us be a singing people. What's the most important instrument in the time of worship? What's the most important instrument in the time of worship? It's your voice. Your voice is the most important instrument. Use it. Use it. Sing. Sing. It's one of the ways the word dwells within us. Sing. You might not be able to sing. Okay, there's a reason they've got this cut off when I'm singing down here. Nobody's asked me to come up here and to sing. It would just not be encouraging uh, to us, right? But that's okay. I love to sing because God's called us to sing. You see, we're not singing for one another. This isn't some sort of show like where we're entertaining and, oh, that person's a grand singer. No, we're actually singing. To God. God desires for you to physically sing to him. So just sing. Doesn't have to be an opera singer singing. You don't have to be like that. Just sing. Just sing to God. I encourage you if you're here with kids, if your kids are near you, sing so they can see their dad or their mom singing praises to God. Sing so that other people can be encouraged knowing that you love the Lord and that brings encouragement to them. Once again, we see with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We're to sing thankfulness again is enlivening this command for us to be thankful to God because thankfulness is gratitude. Thankfulness is realizing who God is and what he's done for you through Jesus Christ. And you get a hold of that in your life, you're gonna sing together. You're gonna be thankful and that's gonna express itself even in times of sorrow to be able to sing and praise God. Paul is calling on us to be a church that peace controls our decisions. We're called to be a church where the word of Christ dwells. The word of Christ dwelling within us by teaching, by admonishing one another, by singing together corporately. Third and lastly, verse 17, he says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him great summary verse here before making a transition to further application and instruction to live out who we are in Christ in the realms of all these relationships we're going to see next week paul says that everything we do whatever we say whatever actions we do in our life is to be done in the name of the lord jesus which is to say in obedience to him for his glory he wants the church at Colossae to live in obedience to who they are and who they are confessing to be. Micah 4.5 uses this same language. It says, For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul says there, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You see, our life is about worshiping Him, to bring Him honor and glory and praise by the way we dress as Christians, by the things we put off and don't wear and don't act, and the things we do put on the way we do act. The things we do say, as we teach, admonish, sing. What manner are we to be doing this with? Well, you see in the text again, with thankfulness. With thankfulness to God the Father through Him. Thankfulness is so key because thankfulness again realizes what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. And it puts a bead on that, and it realizes that, and it is thankful for that. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, when Paul is describing the sinfulness of mankind, how the world has rejected God and walked away from Him and worshiped and served the things that have been created instead of the Creator Himself, Paul puts it like this, Verse 21 of chapter 1 of Romans, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They didn't give thanks to God. They didn't thank God. So he's describing the sinfulness of mankind and the sinfulness of his world and he described it it as not giving thanks to God. Brothers and sisters, that ought not to be us who've had our sins forgiven through Jesus Christ and trust in him by faith. We are the ones who give thanks to God because of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. By God's grace, let us be a thankful, thankful church who love one another, want to see one another grow in their faith, who seek to be a part of one another's lives Listen, you can't do these things if you're not a part of the body. H- how can you do these things? How can you be being taught by somebody else or admonish somebody else? I mean, I think we just don't, don't go around admonishing people we don't even know or know what they're up to, right? H- how are we to do these things to let the word dwell within us if, if we're not a part of each other, if we're not connected with one another? You see, a temptation would be just to kind of stay at arm's length, to not be fully involved with the people of God where all of these blessings are able to come to us. God is calling on us to be involved with one another because of whose we are in Jesus Christ. Let's do that by His grace with a thankful heart to God alone. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank You that You Instruct us from your word. Father, we confess together our sin and our need of you. Father, we pray that your work would do its work in our lives. Father, if there's somebody here this morning who is saying, well, I'm not even a part of the body of Christ. I'm not, I'm not even trusting in Jesus. Father, I pray this day that they would be able to see that Jesus Christ has come to pay the penalty that they could not pay. That he died on the cross to take our punishment. He was raised on the third day and our sins can be forgiven through what he's done for us. Father, would you do that work within those who are not trusting in you this day. And Father, would you help us as your people to be thankful, ever thankful, as we praise you. It's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen.